0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This message is from our evidence series, which is taught from the book of Esther. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. I'm looking forward to this morning and looking forward to our brand new series. The series title is called Evidence and uh, Seeing God When You Don't See God. And here's why we named it that. When you go to the book of Esther, uh, you would think that the book of Esther being in the Bible, uh, that you would read the book of Esther and that you would read God's name somewhere in the book of Esther, but you don't read about God anywhere in the book of Esther. You actually don't see God's, mentioned, God's name mentioned in any form or fashion in the entire book. So literally, when you read the book of Esther, you don't see God. But when you read the book of Esther, you can see God. How many of you are confused already? Listen, when you you look in the book of Esther, even though God's name is not mentioned, God's presence is throughout the entire book. This morning, we're going to look at this. We're gonna talk about setting the stage, setting the stage. And we're gonna see today that God takes time to set the stage and the plan for everything else that we're gonna see through the book of Esther. But before we get to it, let me just give you very quickly a little bit of background in the book. Now, you may not be able to see this very well, but I'll walk over to the screen and kind of talk us through it. A lot of Bible students kind of wonder, okay, I read the book of Esther, but when did it take place? Who was King Ahasuerus and who was Esther? And we have all of these questions. And so when we get down and we kind of go and begin doing some historical studies and we begin taking the Bible and figuring out where books fit in, you would find, if you study this out, that the book of Esther falls in between the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. In about the year 538 BC, you would find a man uh, beginning to rule whose name was Cyrus. Of course, the children of Israel, they've been in captivity for about 70 years. A man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. He came in and conquered the children of Israel and took many of them into captivity. What we re- where we read that is in the book of Daniel. You find Daniel in the year about 605 BC being taken into captivity under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar of the king of Babylon. Well, Babylon would be overthrown by the media Persian empire. And the Media-Persian Empire would have a leader by the name of Cyrus. Well, Cyrus would be one that Ezra, he was a a scribe. He was one that knew the law. He was one that studied out the law. He was in captivity in 538 BC. And God put it on Ezra's heart to go to Cyrus and say, hey, can I go back and reinstill the temple worship in Jerusalem? And Cyrus said, yes, you can go back and do that. And so Ezra would go back and would reinstill reinstate some of the temple worship and call all of the people, the Jews that were still living in Jerusalem, he would call all of them to worship God. And that would take place, as you can see, from 538 until about 518 or 516, somewhere in there. Well, about 40 years later, there would be a new king. The new king, he would come and rule in about four, uh, I think it's on there, 486 and his name was Ahasuerus, or Xerxes. You see, Ahasuerus is really just a title of like saying, your majesty. So when we read in scripture, King Ahasuerus, it's like they're saying, the king, his majesty. But this Ahasuerus, I believe from the research I've done, that this would be Xerxes. And his son would be Artaxerxes I, and their son, um, would be uh, another Cyrus and just down the line there's a huge study there it's really cool anyway this would be Xerxes well the word of god tells us that here's what had taken place through the prophets in the book of kings this is all introduction and the message really short okay i'm lying this is all introduction the message is twice as long <coughs> pull your pillow out i'm just kidding uh, if you were to go to the book of somebody already snoring i heard that whoever that was <laughs> You go to the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, uh, and then if you get into uh, um, uh, the, the prophecies of Isaiah and a few that are written about in the book of Daniel and Ezekiel, you will find that what God had done is God had told the children of Israel, we're studying this out on Sunday nights in the book of Hosea, God had told the children of Israel, listen, because of your sin, I'm going to allow you to go into captivity. That all took place with Nebuchadnezzar. But after you've been in captivity for 70 years, I'm going to open up the door for you to go back to, your, to Israel. And God told the children of Israel, I want you to go back. You'll be in captivity for 70 years and I want you to go back. Ezra led that. But when Ezra led that, only about 60 to 80,000 people went back. Leaving behind some estimate one to two million Jews that didn't travel back? Well, when we read the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, when we read those books, we're reading the history of the Jews that went back. Well, what about the one or two million that didn't go back? What's their history? Esther. It's It's really just an 11 year, 11 or 12 years that we read about. But when we come to the book of Esther, We find God, even though his people had disobeyed him again, we find God. We find his presence, his protection, and his provision, all for the people that were disobeying him. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I look at the Old Testament, people say, man, when I look at the Old Testament, I see a God of judgment. Man, when I look at the Old Testament, I see a God who is merciful and forgiving and gracious time and time again. And when I look at my life, and when you look at your life, hopefully you see the same thing. A God who's merciful and gracious and forgiving time and time and time again. Esther chapter one, why don't you stand with me? We're gonna read this morning as we get into this idea of setting the stage. Esther chapter number one (laughs) And we're gonna read Esther chapter one and verse one down through verse number five. We'll cover the whole chapter today, but just to start verse one down through verse number five, the word of God says this, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India, even unto Ethiopia over 107 and 20 provinces. That's how we know it was Xerxes because Xerxes reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia, and it was only him and one other king. That reigned over all 127 provinces. So there's a little bit of history for us. That in those days, so it came to pass in those days, when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants. The power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even And a hundred and fourscore. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. These first five verses, we are just simply introduced to King Ahasuerus, to his kingdom, and to the the, uh, uh, start of the story before us. But what we're going to see in Esther chapter number one, all the way to the beginning of Esther chapter number two, is we are going to see God setting the stage. God setting the stage. If you've ever been involved in drama or you've been involved in a play, then you know the importance of setting the stage. If you've ever uh, decorated, maybe you decorate your home, you ladies, and you have company over, you know the importance of setting the house or setting the stage, getting things in order for what's about to take place. This morning, we're gonna see God allowing and getting th- using circumstances to get things in order so that he might work miracles. I'm excited to share it with you. And so let's pray and then get into it this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wanna ask you, would you take just a moment and in the quietness of your own heart, would you ask God to speak to you? You pray something simple of God, please speak to me. God, please speak to me. And then why don't you make a commitment to God that as he speaks to you this morning, that you're listening to him and that you're going to respond to him today. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you again for the word of God. We pray that you would help us right now as we look into this book and the opening of this book of Esther. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us to be challenged today, and Lord, that we would see you even when we don't read about you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be uh, convicted. I pray that if there's someone here that does not know you as their personal savior, God, that you'd help them today to put their faith and trust in you. Thank you for what you're going to teach us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I talk about setting the stage. If you've ever planned an event, then you know the, how important it is for you to have everything just right for your event to go the way you want it to. I remember a time in college when my wife and I, we had just been married for about 10 months and we had a friend that uh, him and his, his girlfriend, they were going to get engaged. I worked at a hotel in downtown Oklahoma City and uh, it, you could go up on the roof and you could see most of the city. And so my friend, he knew that. And so he was like, hey, would it be possible to propose, would it be possible to propose to my fiance, to my girlfriend, on top of the hotel? And so I went to one of our managers and I asked him, and he said, Yeah, if you get it all set up, you they can you can use that part of the hotel. And so Hannah came in and and her and some other girls, they all were coming in and out throughout the day and and decorating the top of Embassy Suites Hotel, the the right on the roof. So you could go up the stairs and go right onto the roof. And they were decorating this and it came time, and this uh, guy and, and his girlfriend, they showed up, and they went up, and man, when they got up there, it was all set up perfect. They, t- they had taken time to set, this, set the stage or set the scene for everything to be just right for this guy and this girl to get engaged. And of course, she said yes, and they were happy, and it was, it was just, it was perfect. Two months later, she dumped him, but it was perfect. <laughs> and at least she dumped him before they got married. It was, some of you just got that. It was perfect. Listen, the stage, was. they wanted it, he wanted it to be just right to get engaged. You know what? When you've decorated or you've set up for an event, that's what you want. You want things to be just right. But the truth is that sometimes things happen to make it not just right. But what I've learned over the years is that if you have an event and things are not the way that you wanted them to be, you know what you can do? You can adjust. You can adjust and you can change some things and fix some things to help it still go the direction you want it to go. As I come to Esther chapter number one, I see God using some events to set the stage, but there's some things that when we look at this, we're gonna say, where is God in that? I mean, that does not sound like something God would want done. There's some things that God just simply had to adjust. He had to work some things out to bring about his plan and his providence to save his people. As you come to Esther chapter number one, we're introduced to Ahasuerus. He was the king, or Xerxes, the king of the Media Persian Empire, ruled 127 provinces all the way from, uh, uh, you can see Libya up there, Cyrene, all the way over to India, Ethiopia to India. And you can see this province and these 127 provinces. What a, a, a great king this was in the sense of rulership. He is just domineering. And it's said that during this time, he was even trying to go into Greece a little bit and and overtake some of that. Well, as we're introduced to this great king, Artaxerxes, what I find as you come to the first part of chapter number one is I want you to notice with me today what I'm calling an uncontrolled arrogance, an uncontrolled arrogance. In our passage, our story opens up of King Ahasuerus. He is the ruler of all of these provinces, as I stated a moment ago. But what we find in verse number four is that he not only knew about his greatness, he wanted everybody else to know his greatness too. Notice what verse number four says. Verse number four tells us that he throws a celebration. Verse three and four, he threw a celebration. Why did he throw a celebration? Because he wanted to show the riches of his glorious kingdom. He wanted to show the honor of his excellent majesty. And so he threw a sixth month party, a six month feast for all 127 provinces to come to Shushan the palace and to celebrate. They're not celebrating some victory. They're not celebrating uh, anything other than this king's greatness. He really called everybody there to show off a little bit. He calls, and they have a 180-day party, and they celebrate his greatness from those all over the kingdom. And if if that wasn't enough, the Bible tells us in verse 5 down through verse number 9 that they throw another party for another seven days. And this party is for just those in Shushan. You see, because they had probably spent 180 days serving everybody else, now it's time for them to celebrate his greatness, and so read with me what it says. He, Esther chapter one and verse number five, when these days, the 180 were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace both unto great and small. Seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black and marble. You say, why are they giving us all this? This is just Mordecai, who I believe wrote the book of Esther, helping us understand this king was wealthy And he was, he spared absolutely no expense for this 187 day party. Notice the next verse. They gave them drink in vessels of gold. Now, we read that and we think, oh, they gave the king drink. No, listen, they gave everybody golden cups. Some some historians believe that they gave it to him to take home. They were just giving out gold. Hey, here's a gold cup, take it. I'm a slave, it's okay. We're celebrating my greatness, take the cup. That that was the mindset. Do Do you sense some arrogance here? Do you sense some pride in this man? Notice what it says. It says that the vessels being diverse one from another so none of them were alike and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Now, if we were just doing a casual reading, we'd probably skim right over that, but we're not. So we're gonna take a moment. It says that they were gonna drink. They were just gonna drink it up, party it up. And then the king's command was that everybody would do according to his own pleasure. Do you know what that just makes? It just makes a breeding ground for sin. The king says, hey, there is no restraint. Drink it up, live it up, 187 days, and then, or 180 days, and then those of you in Shushan the Palace, you get seven days. There is no restraint, there is no guards. You can do absolutely what you want for seven days, all in celebration of my greatness. Notice the next verse this is also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. He's showing off all of his kingdom. He's showing off all of his riches. And he wants everybody to know his greatness. But he wasn't done showing off. Because notice what the word of God tells us he did on the seventh day. Esther chapter one, verse 10 through 12. It says, and on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abigatha, and Zethar, and Carcass. How do you like that name? Eh, no comment from me right now. Chapter three, I'll, or chapter two, I'll give you some good names. Uh, and Carcass and seven, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Hasuerus the king. So he commanded these seven, seven chamberlains to do what? To bring Vashti, the queen, before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty. "'for she was fair to look on. "'But the queen Vashti refused to come "'at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. "'Therefore was the king very wroth, "'and his anger burned within him.'" So verse number four tells us that they're celebrating his greatness. Verse five, that they did it for 180 days. It continues in verse number six, that they go and the 180-day celebration of his greatness wasn't enough. And so he wanted to show off his greatness to those who were close in Shushan. Seven days go by of just partying it up. That wasn't enough. On the seventh day, he wanted them to know. You want to know how great I am? I'm going to have my wife come and model before you. And we have to know this morning, and we'll not go into it at all, but this was very immoral, and we're going to see a uh, thought about this in just a second. This man trying to celebrate, and in his uncontrolled arrogance, he asks something that historians say would not have even, would not have even been thought of, even by a king, during this time. His request was for his wife to come before so that everybody could see her, but we see her, an ungodly lady, having more character than a drunken man in this and saying, no, I'm not gonna do that. She's not gonna be paraded around like some trophy. Well, the story tells us that because of her denying it, that he was wroth and his anger burned within him. And so verse 13 and 15 tells us what he did. It says, then the king said to the wise men, and it names the wise men in verse 14, and verse 15 says his question. Hey, uh, what shall we do to the queen Vashti according to the law, because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Ahasuerus by the chamberlains? Hey guys, we got a problem. My wife's not listening to me. Some of you thought that was new. It's not. And he goes, to his buddies. That's what he is. Yeah, some of your men are like, "Mm." that's what I do sometimes. He goes to his buddies and he says, hey, advisors, she's not listening to me. What do we do? Well, one man steps up. I love his name. His name is (laughs) Mapukin. All right, it's not, it's Mamukin. But last summer, I preached Esther at a a camp and I named him Mepukin just because I thought it was funny. Anyway, it still is funny. See, you laughed. Notice what happened. Here's the the question. What should we do? And Mepukin answered the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus hey, king, she didn't only do you wrong, she did all of us wrong. Here's how. For the deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes when it shall be reported. The king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise, the ladies of Persia and Media say this this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered that Vashti come no more before the king. And let, her, let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. And when the king's decree, which he shall uh, make, shall be published throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give to their husbands honor, both to great and small. Did you see what he's doing? Here's the thing. Hey, uh, uh, what should we do, guys? And Mamukin. Get rid of her, man, because if you don't, my wife's not gonna be listening to me either, and that guy's wife's not gonna listen to him. Oh, by the way, we want this to go throughout all the kingdom because your kingdom's great, right? There's him kind of sucking up to the prideful king a little bit, and he's saying, hey, get rid of her, get rid of her. And so the Bible tells us of King Ahasuerus' response. It says, the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mamukin. for he sent letters into all the province, all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language of every people. Here's what happened. In a rage in a rage and in what I'm calling a drunken stupor, in a bad state of mind, the king banishes his wife. But I want us to notice where it all started in verse four. Because verse number four tells us that he wanted to show of his glorious kingdom and of the honor of his excellent majesty. Where did all of this start? Can I tell you this morning, it started with what I call that uncontrolled arrogance. I want you to notice with me this morning that it's because of his pride that he ended up in this spot. His arrogance caused him to make a bad request to his wife. His arrogance caused him to listen to bad advice from unqualified advisors. His arrogance caused him to then banish his wife You see, his pride, the pride of King Ahasuerus, it took him and the kingdom into a terrible place. As I read this, I can't help but find a warning against pride. You see, because the story tells us about pride, but the the principles of scripture back the story up completely. You see, here's what the word of God says about pride. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Here's what the Word of God says about pride. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, the first part, a man's pride shall bring him low. As we look, we can see that it is pride that causes many of the bad decisions that we all make. It's our pride. It's because of pride that we often say things that should not be said. Like, Ahesuerus making the request, saying something that should not have been said because of pride. And we often in pride maybe speak to a spouse or to a child or to a friend in pride and we say something and we're, we're, we're hoping after we say it, I hope they didn't hear it. I wish I could get that back. It's in pride that we say things that shouldn't be said. Did you know that it's often in pride that we listen to people who we often should not listen to? You see, we listen to someone because they tell us what we want to hear rather than listening to someone who tells us what we need to hear. I remember I had a friend growing up and he would say uh, something to me along the lines of, Dennis, if you ever need advice, don't go to people who you know will agree with you right away. Go to people who you don't know what they would say, but they study the Bible. Well, why is that good advice? because I could very easily find somebody who I know has the same opinion as me and they could back up my unbiblical decision because of my pride not wanting to hear what I know I need to hear. King Ahasuerus, an ungodly man, but even this ungodly man, we're gonna see in just a second, even this ungodly man, what he was asking his wife to do, he shouldn't have asked. And what the advice he got was not good qualified advice to help him in this situation, but it all started with pride. It's because of pride that we often make some of the most foolish decisions, and that's what he's doing. You see, the word of God is filled with principles and stories to caution us against pride in our own life. And so as we open up the book of Esther, I see this uncontrolled arrogance. And may we determine today that we're gonna let that remind us I don't want to live with that pride. Instead, I want to live with humility. Micah 6, 8, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and notice that last, to walk humbly before thy God, to walk humbly with thy God. Man, God blesses humility time and time and time again, and may we determine to have humility in our life so that we are not driven by an uncontrolled arrogance. Arrogance. I see that this king, he was driven by that uncontrolled arrogance, but his uncontrolled arrogance brought him to what we call an unexpected regret. An unexpected regret. Look at Esther chapter two in verse number one. Here's what we read. After these things, what are the these things? Chapter one. After all of this came to pass, notice what it says. When the wrath of the king of King Ahasuerus was appeased, He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. I want you to notice that phrase, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased. The word appeased, it means to make, to cease. The word is also used to mean to abate a flood or to dam up a flood. Here's what the scripture is saying. When King Ahasuerus' anger was stopped, when his wrath was all gone, when he finally calmed down and began thinking logically and rationally, he remembered Vashti, he remembered what had happened, and he remembered what was decreed upon her. And the word remember here, the the, uh, direction it's trying to help us understand is that he came to his senses, and he looked back at his decision and thought, wow, I'm an idiot, what did I just do? When it says he remembered Vashti and what she had done, it's not saying he was just like, oh, I sure showed her. It's him looking back and saying, I remember what she did and my decree against her was wrong. His wrath was appeased, it was stopped and he finally came to his senses. He realized that the decree against her was a horrible decision. He realized that in his wrath and in his anger and in his arrogance, he made a harsh judgment against her. And he realized it was a great mistreatment to Vashti. And let me just tell you that while women were not treated properly in many of those kingdoms, this was still something that no king was to do. One man said this way, one historian, he said, under the influence of alcohol, he does something that is contrary to the accepted behaviors of that day. That even in his drunkenness, what he did was absolutely uncharacteristic of a king, one ruling, especially one in his position of a great kingdom. And so he looked back at it and he regrets it. Isn't it interesting that pride causes foolish decisions and regret is usually what follows? How many times in anger because of pride have we responded or reacted to something and said so, oh yeah, well you, and we say it. And as the words are coming out, we're hoping we could get the words back. You ever been there? Yeah, if you're married, you've been there. If you're in a relationship, you've been there. If you have kids, you've been there. Uh, Listen, if you talk to people, you've been there. Because every one of us, often because of pride and anger, We lash out, and then moments later, we go, oh. Moments later, we go, why? What am I thinking? And all because of pride and arrogance, now he's at a place where he's looking back at regret. We've all been to the place where we had to eat a good piece of humble pie. And here's here's King Ahasuerus at that place. <clears throat> and we hate being at that place, don't we? Because, you know, if I'm saying something and I offend my wife, Hannah, and I know I did, as a husband, I hate, I hate doing this. Hey, um, I just want to let you know. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> it doesn't work. You know what we don't like to do? We often don't like to admit, hey, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Hey, Mike, I'm I'm sorry I offended you. Will you forgive me? You say, well, I never say those words. Maybe you should start. Maybe you should start. Because every one of us, just like King Ahasuerus, have times when we have that uncontrolled arrogance that leads to an anger that results in this idea of having uh, that regret. we 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 think that everything's gonna be fine, but we regret it. And we can learn a number of things from this. We don't have time to do it all, but I think we can learn two very simple thoughts. Number one is don't make pride-filled decisions, but know that when you do make pride-filled decisions, admit it, get it right, and move forward. King Ahasuerus, he made this decision, and we need to know that we're not living in a media Persian empire. You see, his decision was final. It could not be undone. We don't live in that. And our decisions can be undone. So don't live with the regrets haunting you. Instead, humble your heart and and watch God work. And so here we are in Esther 1. We meet this pride-filled king and his bad advisors. We meet a mistreated queen and her banishment and a regretful situation all around. But what we really need to see today as we come to a close is that through all of this, we discover an unseen hand. We discover an unseen hand. Now, we're going to really get in depth on this in our next message on May 12th on Mother's Day. But in chapter number two, we're introduced to the future queen. Her name is Hadassah or Esther. And we're going to meet that this young lady, Esther, through the course of the story. And you've read it, perhaps. Maybe you haven't. I'll just tell you what takes place. Through the course of the story, this young lady, Esther, Hadassah, gets promoted and becomes queen, and God uses her to save God's people from an absolute complete destruction and annihilation by an enemy of God. But let me just help you and see this morning that she would never have been queen had God not worked through Esther, chapter number one. Here you have this these situations where we see this regretful and frustrating situation between King Ahasuerus and Mimucan and Vashti. And what we need to see though is that God was using all of this situation to set the stage for him to work. You see, through all of this, God is working to set up Esther to bring glory to his name and to save his people. I love how one man said it and listen to what he said. He said this, what we see here is God introducing us to a pagan court where decisions are made that affect the whole, man, there's a lot of typos in this one, I apologize. Decisions that affect the whole world. It looks as if God is left out, but God wants you to know that he is working through these circumstances And he is going to accomplish something incredible. You see, you and I, we could come and we can look at the passage before us. And as we look at it today, we could say, you know what, I don't see God in this, this drunken party, this uh, immoral request, and then this uh, regretful banishment and mimukin and bad advice. And man, I don't see God in any of this. Can I just help us understand that Even though we don't see God in this, that God saw this and God was working, he knew what was going on and he was working a plan and orchestrating a plan. And let me just tell you this morning that there are times in your life when things may seem out of control and there may be times when you can't see God, but you need to know that he still sees you. There are times in your life and in my life when we look at maybe a health situation or we look at a circumstance maybe because of our own decision or because of the decisions of others, and we find ourselves, like King Ahasuerus and Vashti and even Esther and and her cousin Mordecai that we'll meet in two weeks, and we find ourselves in regretful circumstances and in heartbreaking situations, it is during those times that you and I need to step back and understand, even though I cannot see God clearly in this circumstance, even though I don't see God clearly in this health situation, even though I don't see God clearly in this relationship struggle, I need to step back and understand that God still sees me and God is still working. It's a message I preached a number of months ago, probably a couple years ago now, called Behind the Scenes, that even though we don't see God in the forefront, we can always know that he is working behind the scenes. He is setting the stage for something miraculous. And so the next time that you come up or approach a situation, and you're like David saying, God, where are you? During that time, you need to stop and remember, he may be setting the stage for something incredible. He may be working and setting things up for his name to be glorified and for you to be used in an incredible way. It's during these times that we need to take a step back and see God in our story. And while we may not know how our situation is going to end like we know Esther's is, we can rest assured that our God certainly sees the big picture. And he can take any broken situation and make something beautiful. I'm reminded of 1 Peter 1 and verse number 7 where Peter said this, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, trials are gonna come. And you can't choose your trials, but you can choose your response. The response should be, God, I trust you. I don't see you in this situation, but God, I choose to trust you i want to close by telling you a story. This story, some of you maybe have heard before, but it's a story of my wife and her family. Years ago, my father-in-law, he was Pastor Greg, he was pastoring. He was pastoring a church in another state. <clears throat> and I'll give you kind of a quick version of it. There was some uh, teenagers that were coming to the church, I believe 17 and 19 years old. They were brothers. They had a sister. She was probably 21, maybe 22 or a little bit older. And um, those two teenage boys, they, they got themselves drunk. They got in a fight with each other. They got in a fight with some of the police and they got uh, just kind of going around and, and causing a stir in that little town. They got in a fight with their sister and one of them threatened the sister, I'm gonna kill you. She, the, the girl, she knew where the pastor lived, and so she went to the pastor's house. Hey, can you, can you help me? My brother's drunk and, and going crazy, and he said he's going to kill me. My father-in-law said, yeah, come on in. The family was there, and so she came in and just spent a few moments with the family, and after a few minutes, the brother came to the house. He was drunk, and my father-in-law went out and met him and said, you need to calm down, you need to go home, you need to sober up, and he is just yelling and doing things. My father-in-law, he has a little bit of police training, working corrections, and so he just put his hands on his shoulders and just set the young man down, and the young man just went down, and of course, now his pride is hurt, and he stood up, and he said, I'm gonna go get a gun, and I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna kill every person in that house, and he turned and left. My father-in-law went back inside. Of course, the family was all there and had just watched all of this take place. And my mother-in-law, she said, Greg, why don't, why don't you get, a, get, get one of your guns just for safety? He said, no, no, I don't need that, honey. Just, just get a gun for safety. All right, well, if it'll make you feel better, I'll go ahead and get a gun. Got a handgun, just put it in his pocket. A few moments later, they look over the horizon just about 100 yards away, and I've been to the house, and they look out there, and here comes that young man with a hunting rifle. He comes over the hill. They bolt the door. That young man walks up in his drunken state. And that door that's bolted and locked, he kicks it off the hinges. The door falls flat. By this time, the family's hiding. My father in law is standing right in front of that door. That door falls right in front of him. And that that young boy pulls that gun up and puts it right at my father in law's chest. My father-in-law grabs the barrel of this gun and he puts it off to the side. He's holding it to the side. His gun at his hip, he knows that he can pull it, but he's gotta gotta cock it, there's not one in the chamber. As he holds that gun, my father-in-law had to make a decision. So with all his might, he pushed the gun as far as he could, drew his gun, cocked it. And by that time, both guns are aiming at each other. My father-in-law shoots and the young man shoots. The young man's rifle bullet hit my father-in-law's watch, ricocheted off his watch, and skimmed his shoulder. My father-in-law's bullet killed the man instantly. In that moment, my wife, she was 12 years old, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law and this other sister, they all just heard two bullets and they come rushing out to see this young man's body, lifeless on the ground. My father-in-law holding the handgun and him bleeding. And At this moment, people from the neighborhood begin to surround the building. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, they said people begin to make threats on their life. The police finally were there. The police came in, escorted the family out. And they looked my father in the face and they said, "Sir, do not ever go back to your house." So what about our stuff? It's gone. Do not ever go back to that house. From that moment, here he is. He was a pastor in a small community Now his plan to pastor is out the window. They go through all the trials and all that stuff and it's it's deemed as self-defense and and for, you know, there's no charges or anything brought on anybody, just complete self-defense. But now my father-in-law, he's at a point and from his own mouth, he said to me, I was at a point wondering, God, what is going on? Like, God, where are you in this? I mean, really, is it, was it, is it your will that I have to take someone's life? He doesn't believe that that's God's will. But it was because of a situation out of his control that now his family is in this circumstance that life is just thrown in a blender. But my wife's testimony is that she watched her dad. They moved back to a home with some family for a little bit of time just to kind of regroup. And during those few months, my father-in-law just said, God, I don't understand, but I choose to trust. And can I tell you that it is that circumstance that brought my father-in-law to Republic Washington. He was just here and preached a month ago, or at the beginning of this month on Sunday night. He started a church there, and because of that church, other churches have been started and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to meet my wife through it. Amen. Pretty good deal for me. <laughs> but you know what? Every time I think about it, as I was finishing this message and putting things together, this is the story just popped in my head. An absolute horrendous crazy situation where a person could look and say, where is God in that? (laughs) Having to kill someone in self-defense, are you serious? And yet, here's a family that chose to trust God and now because of that ungodly situation, God has worked a miracle. I tell you that story to challenge you with this. Your weird situation may not be like that. But it may be a situation where you just don't see God. Can I tell you this? Stop, step back, and trust that God might be working a miracle. He might be working something incredible. And so I tell you this story to simply point out that when you and I don't see God, it doesn't mean that God is not working. And when you're in those times, choose to trust him. Choose to trust that he may be setting the stage for something special in your life. Choose to trust that he's working something that will bring honor and glory to him. Choose to trust that he is still in control. I give you two thoughts this morning and we're done. First, will you make the decision that when things seem out of control, you're gonna trust God? Make the decision, because this week it might come up. Where's God in this? God, I don't have to see you. I know you're you're in control. I trust you. Number two, you know what got Vashti or what got Ahasuerus there? His own pride. And sometimes our seemingly godless situations happen because of our own pride. So can I encourage you this week? Let's ask God to help us walk in humility. But maybe this morning you're here and you need to start by humbling your heart and asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I'm going to ask every person in the room to answer this question in your heart. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Are you 100% sure that if you died today that you'd spend eternity with him? If you're here and you'd say, no, I'm not sure of that. Listen, the story of Esther is an awesome story of redemption, of God using one. Listen, it's a story of God using one person to save his people. It's the story of Jesus. Because Jesus gave his life to save his people. He gave his life to save you. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, everybody is gonna spend eternity somewhere. Every single person in here is gonna spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And you can choose to walk through life in pride, but that's only going to get you to hell. Or you can choose to humble your heart and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, put your faith and trust in him. Stop trusting in a church, stop trusting in baptism, stop trusting in your own good works. Instead, humble yourself. And repent, turning to Jesus, saying, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, in just a moment we're going to invite you to come. Someone will take a Bible, they'll show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you do know Christ as your Savior, those two questions today will you choose? God, this week I'm going to walk humbly before you. And God, next time I come to a situation where I don't see you, I'm going to choose to trust you. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed, I end with these questions. Today, if God's spoken to you, take time to respond to him. Take time to respond to him today. I want to ask you this. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I've received him into my life. I've, I've made the decision to put my faith in Jesus. Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Pastor, I've made that decision before. Just write up and write back down. If that's you today and you've made that decision, will you today make the decision to walk in humility, but then also to choose to trust him? God, I choose to trust you but maybe you couldn't raise your hand and you're here and you don't know for sure that heaven is where you'll spend eternity. I want today to ask you, if you're here and you'd be honest, pastor, I don't, I don't know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Would you slip your hand right up and right back down just so I can pray for you? Pastor, I don't know that. Just right up and right back down. Pastor, pray for me. Thank you. Somebody else, pastor, pray for me. If you just raise your hand and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, today you could leave here knowing where you'll spend eternity. In just a moment, we're going to have what's called an invitation. We invite you to come. If you're a lady, we'll pair you up with another lady, a man with another man. They'll take you into a counseling room and show you from the Bible how you could know you're going to heaven. It'll take some courage, but it'll be the best decision that you could ever make. God, I pray that you bless the invitation. Help us to respond to you as you've spoken to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.